Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Genesis uh, chapter 2. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 9. You can follow along with me in your bulletin where it's provided for you. If you brought your own Bible, uh, you can follow along there. Also, in the Pew Bible, it's there at the very beginning of the book. Uh, if you can look it up on your phone or whatever, however you want to follow along, you can do so. But I really would encourage you to have a Bible open because we're going to be flipping around to a lot of passages this morning. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer. It's really great to have you with us. Uh, we're really glad you're here. My name's Sean Slate. I'm the pastor. And we're so thankful that you're here because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning For instance, I've heard it's tax-free weekend as we get ready for school, so you could be buying all kinds of stuff that you don't need, uh, tax-free. Or you could be, uh, you got your classes and your teachers this week, and you could think, I don't like that lady, I don't like that man, I don't want to be in his class. And so you could be trying to get in touch with your guidance counselor to get new classes, uh, or you could be going up to the mountains to get one last weekend uh, before school starts, or you could be putting your EPL Fantasy League soccer team together uh, for next week's uh, matches, which are going to be great. We're really looking forward to that here at Redeemer Church. But you're not doing any of those things. Uh, You're here with us, and it's really great to have you. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than to worship Jesus, to consider his love for you and his claims for your life, and to think about the beauty of his kingdom. So thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God, we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, and he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. We love to eat choco tacos together. We love to hang out together. But we really love to gather together and read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University, Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are. We're a people who are trying to learn how to love God, trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that, A few weeks ago, I started this little short series on working and praying. And uh, this series is really one sermon over three weeks, and it's essentially uh, an extended reflection on the Lord's uh, prayer. 
uh, in light of work, all right? And so I want to say up front, I've really been influenced and shaped by the works of Andy Crouch, Tim Mackey, Matthew Bolton, Cornelius Planinga, and Leslie Newbegin. Uh, many of you, if you're familiar with any of these authors, you'll hear them in these things. And if you ever go and read them, uh, you'll hear a lot of their thoughts here. I just want to say it up front because I'm not going to stop and cite them all along the way, but I want you to know that they're very uh, helpful and influential to me. So a couple of weeks ago, what we talked about was the work of prayer, right? The work of prayer. This week, what I want us to think about is the prayer of work, okay? And then next week, we're going to talk about uh, working towards our prayers, okay? But this week, what we want to think about is the prayer of work. So with that in mind, let's look together. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land that was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The word of the Lord. It's always great. That siren every week. Uh, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you're God, not hidden nor silent, but one who loves to reveal yourself to your people. And it's our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, you would attend unto us to show us lovely things. And so as your children, we pray together as you taught us to pray. It's also printed at the front of the bulletin. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You know, as we think about the Lord's Prayer, what, if anything, does the Lord's Prayer have to do with our work? Well, I want you to think about the words that we just prayed. We said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And this seems to be a lot about what our work is all about. I mean, if our prayer is for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done, and if we pray not only for our own bread, but for the bread of our neighbor, what we begin to see is that our prayers and our work begin to overlap. I don't know if you think about your work. I don't know how you think about your work, but I assume there are many of you, when you think about your job, you sort of think about it as a necessary evil. 
It's something that you have to do in order to eat. It's something that you have to do to make some money. It's something that you have to do to get some loose change so that you can buy gas so that you can go out on the lake. Uh, For some of you, it's something that you have to do so that you can just get out of the house and away from your family. For some of you, if you're a Christian, you think about your job and you think, well, okay, the purpose of my job is to evangelize, to go to work and start to tell people about Jesus. And that might be great if you have those opportunities. Others, you think, well, it's not so much about that, but maybe it's about uh, the character of my work and what I do and what I make and the things that I do and how I do them. Do I do them with honesty and integrity? We, we live in a hyper-performance culture as well. And maybe you think about your job and you think, I've got to be the best at my job if I'm going to be a Christian. There are others of you who I assume when you think about your work, you really see very little connection between being a Christian and the job that you do every day. And in your worst moments, maybe you think I should quit and do something easy like be a pastor. Uh, or maybe I should quit and uh, run some sort of nonprofit, do something good for the world. But here's the deal. If our prayer is for the kingdom to come and for God's will to be done, it seems to me that we need to have a vision of how our work actually might fit into the kingdom of God. What it might look like, what it might be all about. And so as we think about our work this morning, I want to think about the beginning of our work. And this is going to be thick, so just bear with me today, I'm sorry. Uh, But I want to think about the beginning of our work, all right? So look again at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now this is really interesting. This is the first time in the Bible that this word for work is used. And what we see is that God is actually the first worker. And that God worked six days and then God rested on the seventh day. And the work that God is resting from is the work that he did in Genesis 1 and 2. And this is really important for us to recognize because often we define our work by the sweat and the toil and the thorns and the thistles of Genesis 3. But before our work, before God's work had ever become burdensome and frustrating, before our work was ever the burden and the frustration that we experience day after day after day, it really was and it continues to be a holy activity instituted by God for the good of the world. Right, here's the point. God is the first worker and all the work that he had done was good. And as his people made in his image, we too are to reflect that great worker. We're to reflect him and have our work shaped by him. So I want to look back now at Genesis chapter 1 and let's see what God's work was like. And so if you look over chapter 1, you'll notice over and over again that God spoke. And when God spoke, it was so. You see this in verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26. In all those verses, God says, let there be, and it was. And not only did God speak, and then it was, but at the end of each day, he looked over his work, he evaluated his work, and in verse 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31, 
he saw that his work was good. And what this tells us is that God, as the great worker, was making stuff. And then he was making sense of that stuff. That's what he was doing. He was forming and shaping the stuff of this world, laying the foundation for his kingdom. And at the end of all the stuff that he had made, after everything that he made, after everything that he had done, after shaping all this stuff, what did he do? He then looked at it. And he evaluated it according to his purpose, according to his will, and according to his pleasure. And so what I want us to think about is this. This is what work is. Work is essentially this. Making stuff and making sense of stuff. That's what work is. It's making stuff and making sense of stuff. Now that's kind of a huge statement. And so let's slow down a little bit to look more closely at what's happening here in Genesis chapter 1. What's happening is that God is forming and shaping the world to be a place for life to exist and flourishing to occur. I want you to look at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Do you see what's happening here? There's nothing. And God makes something. There's no life, and God provides place for life to occur. That God brings forth order out of the chaos. He, he separates things from one another, and he creates space for life to exist. On day one, he separates the light from the dark. And then in day two, he separates the water from the sky. And then in day three, he separates the sea from the land. And then I want you to notice what he did. He then filled what he had ordered and so on day four, he fills the expanse of day one with lights, with the sun, the moon, and the stars. On day five, he fills the sky and the waters of day two with the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And then in day six, he fills the land of day three with vegetation, animals, and humanity. And what I want you to see here is that God is ordering the creation. He's setting places for life to exist. For things to fill and to multiply and to flourish. And he did all of this in order to provide a space for life to occur and for life to thrive. And then he said multiply and fill and grow. And then at the end of each of these days, he would look over the work that he had done and he would say it is good. And by calling it good, what he was doing was he was making sense of the stuff that he had made. He gave that stuff that he had made purpose and dignity and value. And, and you'll notice that he then sets the rules and he assigns the function of all the stuff that he makes. He says the water, it's over here. And the land, you're to be over here. And, and the plants, you're to yield seeds. And uh, animals, you produce your kind. And fish, you live in the water. And birds, you live up in the air. And the lights, you're up in the sky. The sun, the moon, and the stars. And y'all are going to be signs for the seasons, for the days, and for the years. And then he names things. He's like, okay, that's heaven. And that's light. And that's day. And that's land. And that's the sea. And then he classifies things. And he says, that's vegetation. And that's creeping things. And those are warming things. And he says all these things, this stuff, it, it, it's good. And notice that the work that he does, the stuff that he makes, isn't just one or two little things. That when God creates, when he works, when he makes stuff, he makes a bunch of stuff. 
And I want you to notice the plurality. I want you to notice the variety of the work of his hand. Everything that he does in this passage is plural. Verse 6, waters. Verse 10, heavens, seas. Verse 11, plants, fruit trees, according to their kinds. Verse 14, lights, signs, seasons. Verse 20, swarms with swarms, living creatures, birds, expanse. Verse 24, living creatures, creeping things, beasts. Verse 26, let them. And I love this because God works in such a way that he doesn't have to be the only thing. God works in such a way that he fills so that other things might enjoy him and enjoy the world that he has made. I think this is amazing. He works in such a way that what he makes, he wants to team and to flourish. And he did it in such a way that the stuff that he makes would make more stuff. And that stuff that he makes would make more stuff and then make more sense of that stuff. And I think that this is really uh, beautiful. Think about the creativity Think about the generosity of our God, the stuff that he makes. Think about the warmth of the sun on your body. It's amazing. I want you to think about the beauty of the moon at night, the glory of a daisy, the intricacy of a rose, the subtle beauty of a cactus, of algae, Think about ferns with their fronds as they roll themselves out. Think about ants. Uh, Think about cows. Uh, Think about my favorite, narwhals. This is amazing. This beauty and this creativity of all the stuff that God makes is unending. And then I want you to think about the vastness of it. Not just on the land, not just on the sea, But think about space. We're beginning to catch these new glimpses from these images that are coming back. You see all these planets and galaxies and a little space that's the size of of, of of a grain of sand. And when you think about space, there, there are planets and, and universes and galaxies and asteroids and uh, that we'll never see. A few months ago, I went onto the NASA uh, website and it said, scientists say that the only limit to studying the universe is time. The only limit to studying the universe is time. It's not space, but it's time. And what they're saying is we don't have enough time to investigate and study the entirety of God's work. I mean, that's amazing. And so what I want you to see here is that God is the original worker. And as he works, what he does is he makes stuff and then he makes sense of his stuff. And our work is then to be patterned off of his. And that's what we do, right? I mean, we make stuff and we make sense of stuff. We make stuff, whether it's paper like they make at the office or whether it's dinner like some of you make at home or whether it's ball bearings, as Fletch says, it's all ball bearings these days or whether it's tires or whether it's you build houses or make music or art or food or computer algorithms. Uh, if you stay at home and you order your home, you're preparing a place for people to come and be welcomed and to flourish and to be nourished. And all of this stuff has the purpose then to to make life function, to make life work and to make us thrive. 
And not only do we make stuff, but then we also make sense of that stuff. I mean, think about it. When you buy something, when you buy stuff, that stuff usually comes with directions telling you how that stuff is supposed to be used. If you're a salesman, you go out and you try to convince people. You, you tell people why the stuff that you have is worth their time. You're making sense of it for them. You're telling them how that stuff is useful in the world. As you think about your own life, some of you are more into making stuff, like manufacturing, sales, energy, pharmacology. And some of you are more into making sense of that stuff, consulting, the arts, counselors, teachers. Uh, but all of this is based on God, right? The great stuff maker and the great sense maker. And that's what our work is all about. And I want you to notice that as God works, his work is not self-centered. But God's work is actually other-centered. Because everything that God does, all his work, he shares. He shares his work with his creation. This is a big deal because I think most of us, when we think about our work, we work for ourselves. Right? We work for our own profit. But the pattern of God's work is to share the stuff of his work with others. To, to make the world a place that's no longer formless and void. To, to make the world a place that's no longer dark and chaotic. To make a place that has meaning and purpose. And he works in such a way to bring out purpose and meaning into this world. And again, this fits with our prayers, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's kingdom that gives purpose and value to our labors. And then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Not just my bread. I work not just for my bread. I work for the bread of others as well. We work in such a way. We have been gifted by God in such a way to help other people live and thrive and flourish in the world. And this is really important because destroying your competition was not the original design of God's work. God created the world in such a way that we would depend upon one another. He created the world in such a way that we would serve one another and share our gifts with one another and that together we would make new stuff and we'd make sense of that stuff for the good of the world. And God says that this is good. He says that this is good. And we see this most fundamentally in uh, the creation of humanity. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit you shall have them for food now what I want you to see here is that God made us as human beings in his image and he made us in his image so that we might be his co-workers on this earth he made us to work alongside him. He made us so that we would join him in the stuff making and sense making of this world and this is what theologians call the creation mandate. 
that God made us in such a way that we would participate with him in what he is doing. That he made us in such a way that we would be fruitful and we would multiply and we would fill the earth. And he uses these words of subduing and having dominion over all that God has given us to do. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is that humanity is the only thing in this passage that is told uh, to be fruitful and to multiply. Everything else in the passage just is fruitful and just is multiplying, right? Fish are producing fish, plants are producing plants, the birds and the bees are producing birds and the bees. But God is telling humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And this seems to imply that God is inviting humanity to be thoughtful and intentional about the fruitfulness and the filling that we participate in. What this means is that God wants us to be intentional and thoughtful about the stuff that we make and the sense of that stuff that we make. Because when human beings multiply and fill the earth, what do we do? We create families, and we create neighborhoods, and we create communities, and we create cities, and we make music and art and buildings and lots and lots and lots of stuff. And we make societies and nations and cultures, and those societies and nations and cultures begin to shape and fill the earth. And so how we do this multiplying and filling really matters. And God gave us rule and dominion. And we often don't like these words of rule and dominion because we fill them with the sin patterns of Genesis chapter 3. But in the beginning, there were no sin patterns. Right? In the beginning, God gave rule and dominion to his people, and it was good. And the purpose of that rule and dominion was for us to cultivate the world and then draw out the potential of the world to be a blessing to one another. And again, this shapes our prayers. Give us this day our daily bread. All right, I want you to think about this. Think about the garden imagery that the Bible is using here in Genesis. What is it that gardens do? Well, gardens produce fruit. What happens to an untended garden? An untended garden is unproductive. It might produce a tomato here or there, an uncultivated apple tree might produce an apple here or there. But when you begin to put your hand to the ground, when you begin to put your hand to the soil, what begins to happen? You can begin to feed the world. Not just a tree here or there, but you can make an orchard. And what do you do with those apples? I mean, you can pick an apple off the tree and you can eat it. It's great. You can bake an apple pie. Uh, you can make cider. Uh, you can make apple juice. Uh, you plant grapes. Well, think about grapes. Grapes are amazing right in the bunches. Uh, they're amazing in chicken salad. And then you can cultivate them and make varieties of wines Pinots and Malbecs and Sauvignons, I don't know. I mean, you can, whatever. I mean, you can produce all these wines. And uh, you have a cow, and it can produce uh, a meal for a family throughout the year. Uh, but if you care for a herd, you have meat cattle, you can feed the world. Uh, milk, cheese, ice cream for entire communities. 
And this is the purpose for which God invites us to work. And he says, this is good. It's very clear this is what he's doing in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. He says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. You see the potential here. What's happened is that God has laid out the garden, but it's unproductive. It's not bearing fruit. And why isn't it bearing fruit? Because there's no one there to care for it. And so what does God do? He, he then forms the man out of the earth and, and breathes breath, the breath of life, the spirit of God into this man. And then notice verse 8, God planted the garden in Eden and put the man whom he'd formed in it. And then notice what that man is meant to do, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And what I want you to see here is that God created this beautiful garden for us to tend, for us to care for, for us to work. And to do so in the very same way that God had been doing, shaping and forming and cultivating and bringing out the potential of all that he had made. And this is part of what it means for us to image God. It means that we would more and more reflect God's stuff making and sense making in the world. And this, this gets at one of the points of the trees that are there in the garden. Notice verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what's happening here is that humanity is given this choice to work and keep the garden according to their own wisdom or according to the wisdom and ways of God. And when we begin to work and keep the garden according to our own knowledge of good and evil, what happens? You see, this is all about sense-making. How do you make sense of this world? How will you live in this world? And this is the burden that work uh, takes on in our lives day to day. Because for most of us, work is the primary place where we exercise moral judgments throughout the day. I mean, think about the moral judgments that you make at work. What stuff should we make? Why should we make that stuff? How should we make this stuff? If we make this stuff, how might people use it? Will they use this stuff for good or will they use it for evil? How can we make this stuff without destroying other people's stuff? How can we make this stuff without destroying other people? If we make this stuff, will it be good? Will it be helpful? How can we work these little plots that God has given us with joy and delight and fruitfulness and creativity and care? And how can we then celebrate other people's work and the little plots that God has given them? And what I hope you're beginning to see is that the Bible gives us a greater vision uh, for our work. It's so much bigger than just working for the paycheck, it's so much bigger than just working for the weekend. It is a holy vocation given to us by the great worker himself so that we might more and more reflect him in the world. But sadly, I think we all know what happened. There was a snake that came into the garden and that snake began to deceive us and when we were deceived by this snake, it was not good. And because we were deceived by this snake, we stopped trusting uh, the sense-making, stuff-making God And we were tempted to make our own stuff and to make sense of stuff 
on our own. And when we made stuff and made sense of stuff on our own, it was not good. We thought that God was holding out on us. We thought that God was holding us back from reaching our potential. And so we began to work in such a way that we now do all this for ourselves. And, and once we think about this, when we begin to define good and evil for ourselves, what happens when my good and evil and your good and evil come in conflict with each other? When we begin to work and, and plow the ground for ourselves and I look at your garden plot and I think your plot's better than mine and you're more fruitful than mine and I want to steal yours and I want yours and we begin to fight and claw and steal and we want what we think we deserve and we begin to feel this burdensome task of going to work. And sadly, when we turn away from the stuff-making, sense-making of God, what begins to happen? Uh, evil stuff, like weeds, begin to grow up among us. Divisions begin to root themselves in the ground of our lives. Divisions between us as friends, division between our work, division internally, division with God and one another. And we go to our work and we feel lost and we confused and we start to hurt one another. And so this is why we pray uh, against the curse. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors because we need the garden to be weeded. We need the garden to be tended. We need to be healed. And I think this is a tension that all of us face at work every day. There, there's great dignity in our work and we know that. It's a holy calling to make stuff and to make sense of stuff. And yet sadly in our sin, we tend to make that stuff and make sense of stuff for ourselves. And then the labor and the fruit of that labor often brings about pain and suffering. And so we pray against the curse. And this is exactly why we need Jesus. Because so often our labor feels in vain. Our labor feels like a waste of time. Our labor feels like a necessary evil. And Jesus is the answer to our prayers because what we think about is Jesus is the one who entered the world this world that we live in, filled with the stuff that we have made and surrounded by the sense that we have made of his world. And he was greeted by a people who worked to kill him. And as he came to do his work, he bore the curse of this world. He bore the wrath of God against our self-centered work, the self-centered work of humanity. And then this is amazing, he was killed by the evil, senseless, creative work of nailing a human being to a piece of wood. Now, if God's work ended there at the cross, then our labor would be in vain. It really would be in vain because our stuff making and our sense making would be what wins the day. But I want you to think about this. What happens after the crucifixion on the first day of a new work week. Jesus rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he defeated death. And he came to life again. And where did he come to life again? In a garden. And in that garden where he had been buried, he began the new work of a new creation. Once again, restoring the stuff of this world, ordering it, forming it, shaping it. And making sense of that stuff through his death and through his resurrection. 
and through his promise to come back again and beginning to shape and form by the power of his spirit through his people, a new world ordered according to his kingdom. And so as we prepare now to come to the table, what I want you to see is that God is the one who takes the stuff of this world and he makes sense of it. When we come to this table, he takes this bread, the stuff, and he makes sense of it saying, this is my body given for you. And then he takes the stuff of the world, the the wine, the cup, and he says, this cup is my blood given for you. All of this stuff made by me, formed by me, shaped by me, ordered by me for you so that you might enjoy my work, so that you might enjoy me and come and participate and be strengthened by me in the work that I'm doing in this world. And so we come to this table to the God who has worked our salvation and is shaping us, ordering us, forming us to be his people, working for the good of his kingdom and the flourishing of this world. And so together as his children, we pray together saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.